I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. As you can see in your bulletin, I am a visiting preacher for today. My name is Tricia Lyons, and I serve on the staff of Bishop Marianne, and my area to work with all 88 churches is evangelism. An Episcopal evangelist. Sort of like being in the Kansas Navy. It's an odd phrase for some people, but this is my work in our diocese. To help individuals and churches tell the story of what God is doing in your life. The more people I talk to, though, many people say to me, evangelism is not my thing. And I understand what they mean. Remember, evangelism, this is from a Greek word, euangelium. The word together means a good message, like a good messenger. There's not really a word for it. In fact, this was this is a word that was invented in our scriptures. You can't find this word in other documents of the time. We literally invented the word of good messenger message. It's a person. It's a promise, it's moving, it's a belief. And it comes into Latin, in the Latin translation, good news. Well, let me just say that a lot of you are doing evangelism all the time and you're not really aware of it. Very Anglican of you in that way. Not to give yourselves credit, so let me do it for you. When you say the sign of the cross with your body, you may not have realized that this is an ancient practice of evangelism. Now, if you Google it, trust me, you find all sorts of kind of nutty urban myths about what it all means and how many fingers you have up and all this sort of secret Illuminati stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'll just go to Augustine on this one. The purpose of the sign of the cross is to lead your body through the catechism of the faith. You begin at the head, representing the Godhead, the triune God, the creator of all things, who then descends in incarnation. And in the ancient world, you came all the way down to the gut, which in the ancient world was seen as the center of the person, a kind of womb. So you actually acted out the incarnation. The triune God enters flesh and then comes up in resurrection. But you go to the left side. Now, those of you who are left-handed know this sad story. <laughs> if there are any Latin scholars out there, and I know this neighborhood, there are some geeks out there. The word for left in Latin is sinister. Okay, we're going to talk about the good news. That's not good news for you lefties, you southpaws. But yes, the left has always been seen as a sort of dark shadow side of the person. This is why, of course, if you see any statues uh, of the Greco-Roman period, you always have your left side is back and your right side is forward. It's the shadow side. In portraiture, all through the Renaissance, anyone standing, it's your right leg that comes forward, your right shoulder, and your left is back. It would be seen as a major painting, a typo, if you were standing the other way. You don't want to hide the side of your body that is light and revelation and redemption rather than the left side, which was seen as the need for all of those things. 
And so when you have the incarnation, it comes up in resurrection and takes up that all the darkness, all the brokenness in you. And then you carry it across in the mission of the Holy Spirit in the world. You go from darkness to light. So the whole motion is not just what we believe. It's the liturgical year. There is an advent, the waiting of God. Christmas, Easter, Pentecost. In this one gesture, it is an act of evangelism, of sharing the good news, where you are both the good news and the messenger of it. Evidence that this isn't just one more urban myth. Those of you who know people in the Orthodox Church, you know, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, have you ever noticed they go the other way? They begin on the right and go to the left. The reason they do that is they believe the gesture is for the world, not the person. Any of you that know any, especially clergy in the Eastern tradition, this sort of confidence that one's own evangelism is complete, it would be no, of no surprise to you. The Orthodox believe that they show the world left and right. So I actually love this tradition in the Western Church. It's very Catholic, it's very Anglican. You are the mission field. Evangelize yourself before you put the thing on someone else. Remind yourself of the story of all things, how it began, how it broke, how it healed, and where it's going. It's like giving away the end of the story every time you do it. You are meant to rise and the Holy Spirit with you. If you've ever done that, you are an evangelist already. Now, there are different ways of being an evangelist that I think have turned some of you a bit off, as the British say. The evangelism that obsesses itself with talking can be a bit offensive. Telling people what is right and wrong. There is a tradition in Christianity, going back to Augustine, of Christian apologetics. Most recently, someone like a C.S. Lewis, people who actually engage others about the faith. But do remember, that's just a version. And it's something you do after you have already rooted yourself in your tradition. My friends, if you simply do this thoughtfully and obey it and believe it, you are already the evangelist in the world I think that you need to be. Which is to be someone in whom these things are happening. And then wherever you go, those things are happening. But if you also like to kind of engage people in dinner parties, do the C.S. Lewis thing and give three good arguments. Read a book like Miracles by C.S. Lewis, where in the introduction, he sort of disarms entirely people like Christopher Hitchens. I wish those two could have argued together. Another part of evangelism that doesn't always go well for us is people quoting random Bible verses. That could be difficult because every Bible verse, remember, is like a piece of a puzzle. So picture the thousand pieces out all together and someone pulls out one piece. Is it from that puzzle? Yes. Does it look like exactly what it looks like? Yes. But maybe it's a puzzle about the ocean. But there was one piece of trash on the beach and you picked up that puzzle piece. If you looked at just that one, could we agree you sort of lose the gist of the puzzle? Yes, it's a piece from that picture, but you're not going to get the story from that piece. On the other hand, if you pick up a piece that is mostly blue, it'd be good to make assumptions from that piece. 
course, the difficult thing is which piece do you have? There's only one way to find out. Put it back. And when you take these Bible verses we've been hearing lately, they are real pieces from a real puzzle. But in many ways, we lose the story. What is the story? That the random act of scriptures lately is not telling very well. And by the way, I'm not about to tell you what to think or believe about the current storms, the windstorm mentioned in the gospel this morning. I am not here to tell you what to believe about any of that. Because that's bad preaching. I could get away with it, by the way. My car is the one parked right here. I could just talk and be out. So it's more tempting to go rogue when you're the visiting preacher. But that's bad preaching. A good preacher preaches like Jesus, very, very rarely telling you what to believe. Instead, reminding you who you are. Every crisis of conscience begins with a crisis of identity. And the Episcopal Church, at its best, and as you look for a preacher, this church of yours who will be looking for a preacher in the coming days, weeks, months, don't pick someone for what they tell you to believe. Pick someone who every time you're around them reminds you who you are. Reminds you you are a child of God. There has been an incarnation in your gut. Every dark thing in you is invited with the Holy Spirit, the chariot of fire across your chest, to go into the world. This tradition trusts you. And it is our job to say, who are we? What does the Bible say? And then trust you the way Jesus entrusted, which I thought was crazy, the church to you. If Jesus can trust the church to his followers, a preacher should stand in the pulpit and trust those who listen and not enable any listening laziness by telling you how to go vote in November. I've always loved that about this church and my friend Luis Leon. So let me say one thing about the storm and one thing about the calm. And then I'll let you get back to being who you are. There is no doubt what the storm is around us right now. But maybe there is a doubt. Maybe your storm right now is you started chemotherapy last week. Maybe your storm is you have so much student debt, you could work for the next 30 years and you might come out in the black. You are lonely. You are wealthy. And you are sad. You are not wealthy. And you are joyful. So when I say we all know what the storm is, no, we don't. But if we want to say something about what the puzzle is, the larger story of the current storm, let me say this about the stranger in your land. Because no matter what personal storms you have, I know part of the clouds and some of the deluge is from the news. In the book of Exodus, God says, love the stranger, because you yourselves were strangers in Egypt. Remember the word stranger there in Hebrew is ger. You probably have some Hebrew scholars in here too. Interesting word, ger. It's translated stranger. The King James says sojourner. 
What it means is someone who's in your land who's of another land, but it's more complicated than that because ger is also the Hebrew root for the word fear. So from the very beginning, which is why some people now translate ger to mean refugee or immigrant, because it isn't just someone who's in your land of another land. Somehow the, the word even is associated with fear, which explains both the feeling of the ger and the feeling the ger ignites. But we're looking at the whole puzzle now, so if you move from Exodus to Leviticus, the dial goes up a bit. Because the law then says, love the stranger as yourself. You're watching the Christian teaching unfold slowly in our ancient text. And the dial goes up more in Deuteronomy. Don't just, don't oppress the stranger because you were oppressed in Egypt. Don't just love the stranger as yourself. What happens? Do you remember Deuteronomy? Love the stranger. Do not oppress the stranger. Love the stranger as yourself because God loves the stranger. My friends, what you do today or tomorrow, what you say, how you vote, what you click on or not, is between you and the God who has come into the center of your being. I simply want to share with you that I struggle. I was raised in a fairly Republican, Irish Catholic household. Let's just say we're all over the place now. There's a real storm. But I know this, our call, our identity in these times is what it always is. Please, do the sign of the cross. Evangelize yourself before you dare to pick up this issue or any other. Because these issues, it's like a knife. I mean, in the hands of a surgeon, we call that a scalpel. It can do miracles. You leave that same knife on the floor with children, and there can be crimes and tragedy. It's all about intention and you entering into your own relationship with God. So please, keep being an evangelist of yourself. Look in the mirror. Do the sign of the cross. And, and remind yourself how this story ends, that there is no darkness that is not brought into light. Death has already lost its sting. That's why we can finish that motion. Jesus was in the boat. He was on a cushion. This is the biblical mandate for why your seat is so comfortable. Cushions. It's like ragu. It's in there. It's biblical. Of course, the problem with this story is Jesus fell asleep on it. He was in such a deep sleep. Did you read the verse? He had to wake up twice. Remember, it says he woke up. I was talking to my spouse about this and was given this wonderful insight that I missed. Go back and look at what it says in the bulletin on page 850 or whatever that bulletin. It says he woke up and then the disciples said we're perishing. And, the, and then look, it says he woke up. He, it's like he had, a, he, he had a second birth. And I think that's intentional. Right now, you are awake to your needs, as was Jesus. But there's a second waking when someone else tells you they're perishing. That is the call this morning. We are the people that God has descended into the core of our being. And we are called to look at the brokenness around us and listen for the one who's saying we are perishing. If it's your own voice or anyone in the world. And then you have to kick in your conscience full of the presence of God that filled all of your being, and go with that God. 
and ask yourself, not when is Jesus going to stop the storm, when am I? Because the story of your hand on your body says that God has come into you and Christ is resurrected and leaves the world. We are Christ's body. St. Teresa of Avila says it like this, Christ, you have no hands but ours. You have no feet but ours. I already told you I did not think this was a good strategic plan. So as you look at any storm in your life today, whether it comes out of a newspaper, off an MRI, or your bank account, remember, we're it. We are the body of Christ. We have to wake up off the pillow. We have to calm the storm. I don't know why God has set it up that way, but that's why we have church. That's why you have cushions. Relax. Feed on Christ. Have the incarnation come to you in the Eucharist, and then get the heck out. We did not put in an order for Christ to come back. We already have, and it's already coming. Between now and then, the storm is on us, and often it came from us. God loves you. That's the message of every sermon. You are Christ in the world. God, help us wake up off the cushion. Because by your will, we are called to calm the storm.